It's lamb, potatoes and milk on the programme this week. Yes, never mind the Easter bunny, we'll be talking lambing with uh, one of the country's youngest farmers. My granddad's my inspiration. Um, he's taught me everything I pretty much know. If he wasn't a farmer, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. More from 13-year-old Jack in a moment. Later, as mentioned, an update on potatoes from Colin Jackson. And then we find out why more of us are turning to raw milk as an option for our morning cuppa. It does, you know, really help with immunity and all that sort of thing as well. So I think there is a health benefit from drinking it, certainly. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning and happy Easter. Yes, the uh, Easter weekend well upon us, but uh, in farming, life very much continues as it does here on the programme. Now, uh, given it is the Easter weekend, it seems the ideal opportunity to find out how lambing has been this year. And who better to chat to than Jack Bowles? You might remember Jack. We uh, first met him last summer. He's 13 and now has a flock of 50 sheep at Upton. It's fair to say he and his five-year-old brother Thomas have had a very busy lambing season. Actually, not that bad, because whenever I was there with Grandad, they didn't lamb. When I wasn't there, they lambed. So I wasn't helping this year, but I did do the bottle feeding. Hmm. Got up at midnight, 3am, uh, and then I just stayed up after that. So what's an average day for you during the lambing season? If it's a school day, I'll get up, get ready for school, go to school, come back. Uh, when I get back, I'll bottle the lambs then, go home, then get ready for the next day. So if it's a weekend, I'm normally staying with my granddad, so it'll be 12am, get up, bottle him. 3am, get up to bottle. Um, I'll be up and stay up by then, and we go to bed about 10. Um, and then... Once he's done that, 6am again, like bottle feeding. In, when we're doing that as well, we're checking the sheep. And then at 8, we go to the Casbrook farm, our farm just up the road. Uh, we go feed the cows, um, then we come back, get breakfast, that's about 9. Um, this year we were lambing when we were seed drilling, so what happened was I was on the back of the drill because our drill... Yeah, it's not the fact we've got old-fashioned machinery, so when you open it up, you have you can't see hmm. if like from in the cab like you can nowadays. So it's very busy then. Yeah. What talk us through what what's what will happen ultimately to the to the lambs we we now have here then? Um, South Downs we're going to be keeping. Uh, we're selling one of the rams. We've already got that sold to Hall Farm Park. Uh, that, that's going when we're at the. End of Lincolnshire show. Um, then the ones who are Texels cross with South Down Ram, um, they will be going to market for breeding. Don't think that takes us back down to. I'm not working that much. I think it's <laughs> roughly about 16. Right. So obviously you started when you were one. You're clearly passionate about it. You obviously love doing this, yeah? Yeah, yeah my granddad's my inspiration. He's taught me everything I pretty much know. If he wasn't a farmer, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. And of course, you're obviously 13 now, you've got uh, those crucial schooling years coming up. What what happens then? You're not going to give up the flock, but what else do you want to do? Uh, I want to be a farmer. Mm-hmm. Well, first, you've got to get a job, because nowadays it's about 3,500 acres to make any sort of money up mm-hmm. nowadays of farming. So I think I'm becoming a land barrister because I like history and 
I love farming. It kind of combines both. Ah, 13-year-old Jack Bowles there, the young sheep farmer with plans for the future. Such passion for what he does as well. Now, while talking about teenagers getting the farming bug, it's worth a mention of Clem Thompson, who uh, sadly died this week at the age of 84. He's been described as the greatest carrot grower the UK has ever known. He got into the family business at just 15, quitting school after his grandfather fell ill, and when he died, an uncle suggested he should take on full-time the role, despite being just in his 20s. Now the business produces 65,000 tonnes of carrots, 16,000 tonnes of parsnips, 1,000 tonnes each of red onions and shallots each year on farms across Suffolk, Norfolk, Lincolnshire, Cambridgeshire, even in Scotland. What a legacy to leave behind. Clem Thompson, who's died aged 84. Right, from carrots to potatoes, let's get the update from Colin Jackson at PJP. How are things, Colin? Yeah, morning, Sean. Um, Yes, well, we're sort of getting towards the uh, the end of the last season obviously planting is well underway for the new season uh, which is all good and uh, things have gone in very well as far as planting conditions have been um just a little bit uh, concerned about uh, potential late frosts which might cause a bit of problem that's always a problem isn't it this time of year you think it's just warming up and we've got some warm temperatures this weekend but uh, the frost could easily come back at night time couldn't it yeah, that's right. Um, as I say, things have gone in very well, so they've all gone in in a very short space of time. So a lot of things will be emerging at a similar kind of time. And uh, yeah, things will be quite critical, um, you know, in May, uh, as far as any uh, anything that catches us at that point. How do things compare with, with last year? Obviously, we had the beast from the east and all the snow that kind of affected things, didn't it, early on? Yes, that's right. I mean, it yeah, really polar opposites um we're seeing that uh, as last year you know planting conditions were quite difficult um it was actually quite wet believe it or not this time last year wasn't it and uh, so uh, potatoes were getting uh, put into conditions that really weren't ideal um and soil temperatures were still quite cold so yes the uh, complete other end of the spectrum um one thing to consider is that actually normally when things go in badly that actually gives us relatively decent um, prices because it obviously starts to affect yield uh, or the potential yield of the crop. Um, this year we've seen everything going in very well, so uh, potentially uh, or the potential of the crop is very good at the moment. But uh, it's going to be very much dependent on the weather. I mean, you would think that at some point it's going to start raining and maybe it's not going to know when to stop. Um, and that will be the, uh, the concerning thing going forward with the growing crop, really. That is the problem, is that you'd like some rain, but not too much. That's right, that's right. And at some point, you know, these things, they do have a habit of coming round and uh, and righting themselves eventually. And we are, you know, now a long way behind on rainfall. So uh, it does concern me that um, sort of May, June, July, um, we could have some uh, some wet weather to come. What about current prices? Well, prices are maintaining... Um, very much as we said last time that uh, the trade is sort of splitting into two almost there's the varieties and people with confidence in good stores um prices are, are still if anything going up a little bit more so there's still good prices in excess of 400 pound a ton to be had for good quality uh but on the flip side something that's sort of needing to be moved the, the the trade is not brisk anywhere and so prices have actually come down a little bit um and so values you know, it's not unusual to see values of sort of 120, 140 pounds a ton now, which when we haven't seen those prices down at those values really probably for a season now. How are things in the industry generally? Obviously, with, with Brexit, there's all that uncertainty uh, still still ongoing. But are you, are you getting vibe things where, you know, people are optimistic? Um, 
I think the the customer end, no. People, I wouldn't say, are optimistic at the moment. Um, everybody is saying that, that sales are slow, and they're sort of looking for excuses, I think, almost. And, and Brexit is an excuse. Whether there's actually any truth in it or not, I don't know. The, um, but certainly sales have been slow, I think, more as a reaction to the relatively high prices that we've seen in this last season. Um, but as far as the growers, um, yeah, I think there there is a bit of enthusiasm for it. Um, I think, you know, most people want at least something to happen one way or the other. And at the moment, of course, we keep fudging along and kicking the can down the road a little bit. Um, and uh, I think people just need some decision so that we've got some clarity and can then go forward. Thanks for that. Colin Jackson at PJP. Let's get our weekly fix from Open Field, shall we? It feels like ages ago since we last heard from Rebecca Pierce. Let's put that right. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning, Sean. Hope you've had an excellent Easter weekend so far. A fairly steady week of activity in the grain trade this week, as many are making the most of the Easter holidays. As of Wednesday evening, old crop London wheat futures had closed at £164.50 for May 19, up marginally versus seven days ago. A new crop of 19 London wheat futures closed at £148.50, up £2.70 on the week. Cash prices at the farm gate feel a little lacklustre at the moment as they struggle to move in either direction from the levels we've seen for the past month or so. And as we approach May, we have less of a window of opportunity to market any unsold tonnes left in the shed and prices may well just continue to tread water until the combines get rolling. With the current discount between July old crop and new crop wheat, only time will tell before either the market drifts or the market rises until they meet one another. Aside from the ongoing political debacles across the world, including, dare I say it, Brexit, and the ongoing US and China trade war, the big thing to watch on new crop price levels continues to be the weather. This week, various reports have yet again mentioned the fact that US wheat plantings will be at 110-year lows, and others have mentioned that the projected wheat harvest for the likes of Germany and Russia will be up considerably versus harvest 2018. Some are even talking near an 80 million tonne Russian wheat crop, potentially making for a very big world wheat harvest. I have read that the average yield in Germany for wheat last year was circa 6.7 tonnes a hectare and that the forecast for the 2019 harvest average yield is nearer to 7.8 tonnes a hectare. The next few weeks will be interesting as if you remember it was on the 1st of May a year ago that as available feed wheat in my area in East Yorkshire hit £150 a tonne off combine and honestly didn't stop going up with season highs pre-Christmas in the late 190s. It is always worth not forgetting what the price of corn is doing as this season in the UK we've seen circa 2.5 million tonnes of corn imported even though the two bioethanol plants in the north of England aren't in operation. Whilst not every animal can live on a corn diet, it is suggesting that if the price is right, the compounders will push the percentage included in the rations and use it, displacing the requirement for UK wheat. Speaking of corn and after the recent floods in the US Delta, it will be interesting to see how much of the intended corn area gets planted now things have started to dry up. Similar to the UK wheat market, the UK feed barley market has been quiet too this week, with values at the farm gate relatively unchanged versus a week ago and still at a large discount to feed wheat. Whilst UK cash oilseed rate prices continue to hold circa £300 a tonne, 
It is promising to read that throughout February of this year, the US actually exported more soybeans to China than February 2018. US trade data released on Wednesday showed that 2.1 million tonnes were shipped to China in February 2019. That's 5,900 tonnes more than what was shipped in February 2018. And the first time that exports rose on an annual basis since May 2018, did the data also show. Soybeans were traditionally the largest US agricultural export to China, with sales of north of 30 million tonnes a year. However, the shipments have dropped drastically since a 25% tariff was imposed by China last July. Looking ahead to new crop oilseed rate values now, and Germany's Association of Farm Cooperatives reported that Germany's 2019 winter rapeseed crop will fall by 11.6% on the year to circa 3.24 million tonnes after a reduction in sowing, and that also the plants are in urgent need of more rain. This could be seen supportive to values going forward. Let's have a quick roundup of prices now. And feed wheat for May 19 continues to trade circa 158 to 164 pounds a ton, plus a pound into June. And values off combine for harvest 2019 are circa 138 to 142 pounds a ton, with a pound per ton per month carry through until November, where prices are circa 143 to 148 pounds a ton. Values for feed barley for May are trading at 128 to 134 pounds a ton. X the farm, with new crop values for harvest around 120 to 125 pounds a ton. As I've previously mentioned, oilseed rape continues to hold around £300 a tonne X the farm for May, with prices off combine around £294 to £299 a tonne, and a strong carry through until November 19, where many are able to achieve £305 a tonne X the farm. Enjoy the rest of your long Easter bank holiday weekend, and I'll be back in a few weeks. Thanks, Sean. Happy Easter. Thank you. Rebecca Pearce at Open Field. It seems more of us are turning to raw milk, even though some current health advice suggests it might contain harmful bacteria. A number of farms are now selling the product direct to customers who are turning their backs on pasteurised milk being sold in the shops. Uh, You might remember a couple of years ago we went to see Adam Dugood as uh, he was just about to launch his raw milk vending machine at Cambie Corner. Well, two years on, how has it gone? Cathy Green has been to meet Adam to find out. The response when we've been open has been fantastic, really. Um... You know, we haven't been able to be open just as much as we would like to be, and that's something that we're sort of working to rectify. And and if you can explain more about that. Yeah, um, the hygiene standards are very, very strict on raw milk, much stricter than they are on selling milk to a dairy. And it can depend on all sorts of strange factors, like uh, the time of year and, you know, what the cows are eating and, you know, all sorts of things. And so what what we're doing is sort of putting the measures in place to make sure that we hit those all of the time consistently, rather than sometimes, you know, at the moment we haven't hit them and then we've had to close down. So I want to make sure that when we open, we we can stay open and, you know, we're not uh, having to sort of close down because we've we've slightly exceeded the uh, levels. And because it is soaring in popularity, those regulations are under the spotlight, aren't they? Well, they are. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's, you know, I drink it myself every day regardless. Uh, uh, But of course, you have to be that, you know, the, the, the regulations are very very strict on selling to the public so um there's no room for error and uh you know we have to make sure that 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 we hit those in order to to sell it but i mean i i've drink it i've drunk it since i was a small boy every single day without any problem at all (laughs) (laughs) and explain to me for someone that doesn't know then the difference between the two different types of milk 
between uh, between unpasteurized and yeah. pasteurized. So yes, I mean milk um, that you drink in the shops is all pasteurized, uh, which means that it's uh, heat treated. So pasteurization is is heating milk up to seventy odd degrees centigrade, holding it there for a minute and then cooling it rapidly down again. And uh, what that does is it kills all the pathogens uh, in the milk. Um, and really, uh, you know, in the old days, that was very important because, you know, 50, 100 years ago, you had things like tuberculosis and, uh, you know, the way of transmitting it was through, through raw milk. Nowadays, you know, TB's eliminated. We don't have TB anymore. Um, so the risks, are, they are very much lower, but they are still there. Uh, but of course, by keeping the uh, bacteria, the good bacteria in, um, it does, you know, really help with immunity and all that sort of thing as well. So I think there is a health benefit from drinking it, certainly. And is there um, challenges of producing? Obviously, as we say, we've seen a surge in popularity. So do you think other farmers might follow your lead, really? Um, yeah, I think it'll always be a niche product, to be honest. But then I think, you know, with th- there's, there's more and more worry about things like antibiotic resistance. Um, and, you know, I think people are looking at uh, immunity and how to boost immunity. So, you know, that might be something that's, uh, that grows in popularity in years to come. And how many cows do you have? How does the operation work? Yeah, we, we have uh, 400 in the herd and milking about 300. So uh, we milk twice a day. And, you know, like a lot of farmers, we're looking at our system. We're trying to be as environmental and welfare friendly as we can. So we've moved from, in my father's day, a very intensive system to a less intensive system. So we now graze all our cows so they all get some time outside. They all eat grass. They all uh, enjoy some time in the sunshine. And I think that's what the public want now. They want to know that their food is coming from, you know, good animal welfare standards and the cows are, are in good condition and they're, and they're looked after properly. And quite an unusual way of selling it. You've got a vending machine actually Well, um, that only sells a tiny weeny proportion mm. of our milk. But yeah, it gets I, interested, I suppose. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we probably produce 10,000 litres a day and we might sell, on an exceptional day, you might sell 100 litres through the through the vending machine so it's a small proportion but yeah it, it hopefully gets people interested in where their milk comes from adam jugard there with his raw milk vending machine chatting to kathy green sean sparling is our crop doctor out in the field have you uh, tried raw milk sean yes good morning sean happy easter i have actually yeah my grandfather arthur cartwright farmed beef and arable upon the lincolnshire wolds near spilsby his brother was a chap called percy cartwright and he farmed at Hatton, just outside Rugby at Walker's Farm, which was a dairy farm. And uh, every time you went to see Uncle Percy and Auntie Joan, it was always raw milk because it was taken straight out of the cow, as you would expect, put in the fridge, and that's what you had in your cup of tea and on your on your cereal. And I could never taste the difference, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. It's a bit like somebody saying an organic carrot tastes different to a carrot carrot. It's a carrot. It tastes like a carrot. And milk always tasted like milk to me, whether it was raw or whether it was pasteurised. I understand from talking to various people, there are a lot more good things in raw milk that aren't taken out by pasteurisation. Um, but it's each to their own. Chacon à son goût, as your actual French say. Um, each to your own. And if you enjoy it, do it. I don't see any problem with it. Certainly, we should all be drinking milk. That is a fact, unless you have an allergy to it. You know, the UK dairy industry needs your support. It's the most welfare friendly, highest quality milk anywhere in the world. And it's a whole food. Let's be honest that you get so much good vitamins, minerals, aminos, fatty acids, all sorts of 
things that are good for our health come out of milk so we should all be drinking it anyway whether it be raw or unpasteurized but if you've never tried raw have a go as long as you can have a go why not if you like it do it if you don't like it do it you might like it so let's move on to agronomy then we'll start with winter wheat winter barley t1 is now starting to appear leaf three is starting to emerge now remember all about temperatures last week we struggled to get into double figures this week philocron is well underway 20 degrees 21 degrees that's going to encourage leaf emergence and you can see you can almost see leaf three emerging in the field as you walk across these fields so the time for t1 fungicides is probably upon us now in these crops where leaf three is getting to be pretty much fully emerged. The thing that concerns me most is not so much the disease control but the lodging control because that bottom node is so leggy at the moment it's going to need some help so you need to make sure you've got a decent growth regulator program in place to try and thicken the cell walls of that stem to give it more of a chance of standing up. It wants to be more like a bamboo cane than it does a drinking straw and that's where your growth regulators come in. So for me I don't mind being two or three days early. I'd rather be early by a week than late by three days when it comes to disease control and lodging control and remember just check your label make sure you're still within the legal use timings for growth stage on those growth regulators because now we've got some temperatures things will move very quickly and if you combine in with that the fact they're under stress because of moisture lack of moisture and lack of ability to grab hold of phosphate potash manganese magnesium sulfur and in particular nitrogen from the soils you need to account for all of those things uh, into how quickly these growth stages are going to move through now because they may well skip growth stages so keep looking there's no substitute for walking fields cutting plants open and looking at them very very closely don't miss the boat but don't complicate these fungicide mixes too heavily with herbicides dropping in them it's very dry underfoot is there any point putting a sulfonyl urea in when it's going to go on to bone dry parched soil with no rain in the forecast i'm not sure there is so treat fields individually on their own merits and by variety on their own merits as well and prioritize the most high risk varieties um spring wheat spring barley romping away now a lot of nutrient deficiency showing in these spring wheats and spring barleys but just be a little bit careful about chucking on big frothy nutrient mixes onto an already stressed crop which is struggling to get hold of anything because there is a propensity for crop damage and scorch so unless you need to go in and there is a need then just stay out for the time being if you roll these crops for goodness sake leave at least seven days before going in and spraying anything because you'll damage the leaves and if they're already under stress that's when we start seeing crop damage peas and beans the weevils have certainly done a little bit more damage since it warmed up but again these crops are moving away from that damage so unless they're decimating the crop and doing significant direct feeding damage there's really no need to go out there and apply an insecticide to them if you do choose one which is kindest to the beneficial and while we're thinking about spring wheat and spring barley BYDV Yes, I have found the odd Rhodes grain aphid out there in the field and grain aphid. Haven't found too many bird cherry oat aphid, but I'm also finding so many ladybirds and predators out there in the field that actually they're probably doing the job for me. So unless you need to put an insecticide on spring barley, don't. Um, sugar beet, it's pricking through the ground quite nicely now. Uh, after the frosts of last week, the ones that were pricking through and took a frost on them, um, they look okay. They seem to have managed it all right. But the net result, if you 
you drill sugar beet in at two, two and a half inches and put it into moisture, it's going to grow. If the majority of the weeds are trying to grow in that top inch of the seed bed where it's bone dry, hopefully the sugar beet will grow faster than the weeds. Now, at the moment, as we said last week, it was too cold for polygonums to grow. But now we've got into late teen figures and early 20s, we will see polygonums begin to grow. Be very careful about what mixes you're putting on, about whether you're putting oil in, about what temperatures you are spraying in. If it's over 21 degrees, you're probably better not to spray a sugar beet field in those temperatures, not least because of crop damage, but also because the herbicides don't actually work that well in those sorts of temperatures. Um, and the only other crop to mention is oilseed rape. Very mixed bag across the county. I have fields which we thought we'd managed the cabbage stem flea beetle very well, monitoring it every other day. Only sprayed once in some land on the wolds because we never actually saw the cabbage stem flea beetle doing enough damage to warrant spraying and yet that's as badly affected by the larvae as I've seen anywhere else and other fields we've got where we nearly pulled them up before Christmas because of the level of damage we left them and they're in full flower and they seem okay so it is very much the look of the draw and this cabbage stem flea beetle story is going to roll on the good news is I've seen some swallows so the swallows are back in the UK all is well with the world happy Easter Thanks, Sean. Have a good Easter. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yes, let's look at the weather, shall we? Uh, None of that rain in the forecast that Colin said he wanted earlier. The warm spell continues. Plenty of sunshine, certainly for the first half of the week. Uh, Daytime highs in their mid to late teens, with overnight lows around seven or eight. The winds from the south today, mostly, though, from the east on Monday and Tuesday. And again, around 10 miles an hour, maybe the odd gust up to 30 early on Tuesday. The jet stream could dip a little by the end of the week and that might bring some low pressure and some showers from Wednesday onwards and they could well be thundery in nature as well. Our hourly updates will uh, keep you fully updated should that be the case. For now though, that is the forecast and another week in the world of farming. Next week, after a weekend of Easter eggs, we're getting healthy. You've been warned. Enjoy the rest of your Easter weekend.